Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I hope you all had a lovely Thanksgiving weekend and uh, gorged yourself on a ton of turkey and a ton of football. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris, a guy that I had the opportunity to watch a lot of sports with over this weekend. It was good to see you, my friend. Yeah, man, it was fun times. That Ohio State-Michigan game was pretty intense, though. Uh, reminded me of the uh, Indians playoff run. I don't think my heart can take much, many more of these tight uh, sporting events. Yeah, no, uh, cer- certainly an intense uh, matchup. Um, some some good football games. Uh, I mean, even the Thursday games, uh, I, I thought they were pretty enter- entertaining. Um, definitely a good weekend, but uh, certainly we're going to start uh, this podcast off by talking about the game, Ohio State winning in double overtime uh, on a walk-off touchdown uh, against Michigan. Um, Chris, this is a game that Ohio State didn't really – lead in uh for the majority of the game uh you know had to tie it uh with a last second field goal goes into double overtime and they're able to pull it out um did did it deliver for you uh this year well certainly delivered uh probably the best osu michigan game since the 1v2 game back in 2006 um i'm still kind of trying to figure out how ohio state won this game because honestly, the Buckeyes had no business winning this game. They were outplayed in two out of the three facets of the game. Uh, really, the only thing that showed up for Ohio State consistently was their defense, and it was the reason that they were able to ultimately come away with a victory. Their two touchdowns in regulation came off of two plays and 12 total yards, thanks largely to two interceptions. I know that there were other plays that are getting more attention, but that right there is the game in a nutshell. Michigan outplayed Ohio State, looked like the superior team for most of the game, but they could not take care of the football when it counted. They gift-wrapped Ohio State 14 points, and when you spot a top-three team 14 points, uh, that's generally not a good thing, and it ended up costing Michigan what would have been a uh, program-altering victory in my book. I think it really would have uh, it really would have helped legitimize Michigan as a return to power. And uh, we'll we'll get more of that into that later. But but certainly that right there for me was the game in a nutshell. Yeah, um, it was certainly an entertaining game. Um, I'm with you. I mean, Michigan outplayed Ohio State. I, I think they outplayed them in, in every facet of the game. Uh, Ohio State's defense did end up stepping up, but uh, you know Michigan's defense played ex- extremely well for for uh, a large portion of the game. I think Ohio State was outcoached. I, I think Urban Meyer made some mistakes and, and uh, let, made some poor choices in the game that um, you know Jim Harbaugh didn't act as aggressively as Urban Meyer did, notably that uh, fake punt uh, deep in Michigan territory. But um, w- when you take the risk, you know you, you run the risk of being outcoached, and, and I think that certainly happened to Urban Meyer. Um, for it was it, like I said, it was certainly a, an exciting game. Um, I, I'm hesitant to uh, join in on, on some people saying it was a, an instant classic game, just because there are so many mistakes and, and there there just weren't enough game defining plays uh, dur- during the game. It, it was definitely fun. Um, the comeback was was pretty exciting. Going into overtime is definitely great. And then I think there were 
there there are too many questions about officiating fair or not for, for it to just be a, a transcendent game that, that kind of defined the history. I think, you know, looking back, we're going to kind of forget about some of the calls or non-calls and, and some of the sloppier parts of this game. But, you know, watching it, I never got the sense that I was watching, you know, a, a historically great Ohio State versus Michigan matchup. Yeah, let's just... No, officiating, I don't think, was that controversial. And that's not just an Ohio State fan talking. I mean, if we're going to talk about that big fourth down spot, it was clear. Ohio State got the first down. It was clear live. He was stopped at the line to gain. It was clear on replay. It was clear on the millions of memes that have gone through Facebook between now and uh, the game. So I don't think that that was one of the controversial points, if that's one that you're referring to. Uh, Were there a couple of penalties that could have or could have not been called? Absolutely. Join that with pretty much every football game that's been played this year. Yes, Ohio State got away with a bad non-pass interference call. The drive after Ohio State was aided by a big pass interference call that I believe led to a missed field goal, one of two missed field goals by Ohio State's normally reliable kicker. Um, were there a couple of uh, – was there a flag in overtime? I, I, I did not see this one that there was a uh, – on that third down play that Michigan settled for the field goal in their double overtime, a pass interference call. I, I admittedly didn't see this live on the broadcast, so I'm not sure – but if, if, if we're going to talk about officiating, I don't think it was that bad, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, that, that's just me. I, I think it was a fine game, and I do think it was an instant classic. I mean, you had the first ever overtime game in the history of this rivalry. You had a playoff spot on the line, or definitely uh, your playoff chances being eliminated on the line. You had hard-nosed Big Ten defense. You had some great defining moments, fumbling at the two-yard line, the fake punt, the pick six, the big runs in overtime. I mean, Bob, I don't know what game you were watching, but it was definitely an instant classic to me. Yeah, it just didn't do it for me, and I I think that I I don't know. You, you play a game so close, and, and you I, for, for Michigan uh, on their side, they they led that game for almost the entirety of of, of regulation, and it wasn't until uh, you know that last minute, last second field goal that that it was tied. Um, you're able to lead the game despite all the mistakes that have been made on the field, and you still can't catch a break on some no calls or or some questionable calls that that you know, never seem to go their way. I I don't know. I mean, with all that noise being made, it's just hard for me to, you know, walk away from that saying, wow, like I I just watched a a really great game. I'm not saying it wasn't entertaining because it certainly was entertaining. Um, I I don't know. I I, I feel I I am uh, sympathizing and empathizing with uh, a lot of those people uh, up north that, that seem to be pretty upset with that game. Um, uh, quick correction though Ohio State did lead seven to three in the second quarter the pick six gave them a seven to three lead yeah and that's why I said majority of the the, the that regulation I didn't I, I I was aware of that but you know from that moment you know the Michigan quickly went up 10 to seven and then you know led for for most of that second half as well um I mean Chris I mean do you think Ohio State rallied or do you think Michigan blew their chances well, I, I, yeah, I definitely think Michigan blew their chances. I mean, three turnovers, 
you could say the fumble was negated by the um, fake punt decision because Michigan ultimately got the ball back inside the 30 and scored a touchdown. So the fumble ultimately didn't bite Michigan. But the two interceptions led to both Ohio State's touchdowns on just 12 yards of total offense on two plays. Now, both teams' box scores are a little bit inflated because of the overtime period. But but the fact of the matter is, you know, you look at JT Barrett, 15 to 32, 124 yards and interception. I mean, that's not very good. Now, I understand he ran the ball 30 times for 125 yards. So Ohio State did essentially exactly what we didn't want them to do, lean too heavily on JT Barrett's legs and not get Curtis Samuel more involved. Only seven rushes and four catches. You saw Curtis Samuel, when he got the ball twice in overtime, exploded for the you know plays that were, were defining moments of the game. You know He had the big run to set up the first touchdown, and he had the big run to close out the game. So, you know, his two biggest plays came in overtime. They didn't get him involved at all in regulation. I don't understand that. I still don't understand that. He's a dynamic playmaker. They need to take the pressure off of JT Barrett because this Michigan's defense dared JT Barrett to beat him, and he couldn't do it. I think he's a good playmaker. I don't think he's a particularly strong quarterback, and, and I, I think that when you rely too heavily on him, it plays right into the other team's hands. Fortunately, Ohio State's defense stepped up and made plays, but but definitely Michigan blew the game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, they, you know, they just needed one thing to go their way, and, and nothing did. Uh, the turnovers, uh, yeah, it, it they definitely had it, and, and they just could not put Ohio State away, and eventually, you know, blew it in, in overtime. I, I agree with you. I mean, thirty carries for JT Parrott. Now, eight of those are sacks, which. Uh, should certainly be alarming for for Ohio State that JT Barrett was sacked eight times. Um, so so that counts in his carry total uh, in, in college stats. But um, still, yeah, you know the, the Ohio State offense for really a second straight week and uh, has kind of been 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 treading this way for for uh, for uh, kind of the second half of the season. Now they've had their moments for sure, but um, just don't look as explosive as they did in the first half. And I think that's concerning heading into you know, high leverage playoff games, um, they need to write the ship. And I, and I think that certainly lies on play calling it. And like you said, getting the ball to, to Samuel and Weber more than, uh, you know, seven carries for, for Samuel and only 11 for, for Mike Weber. Um, that, that, that lies solely on coaching. And that's why, um, in addition to that very questionable fake punt call, uh, I, I think Urban Meyer was out coached on Saturday. Yeah. I think the only area where Urban Meyer wasn't out coached was, Jim Harbaugh got a 15-yard on sportsmanlike conduct penalty that aided an Ohio State drive. Yeah. I mean, another shot-in-the-foot mistake that handed the Buckeyes points. I mean, at the end of the day, Michigan can look in the mirror and say whatever it wants about that fourth-down spot. The bottom line is it shouldn't have even gone to overtime. Michigan should have won by probably two touchdowns. If they don't get in their own way, we're talking about a whole different ball game right now, but yeah, Ohio State won. Yeah, I mean the spot seems to to me to be a, a culmination of uh, just a, a very frustrated day. I don't, I, I yeah, there's there's a lot of chatter going around about this spot in particular, but I, I think uh, it was kind of the straw that broke the back. Uh, you know, a, a lot of things were frustrating that side and, and you know you had one more thing that ultimately I mean that that was a game ending play if it if it went Michigan's way so um that's what people are keying on but there there were other things uh you mentioned that 
a potential pass interference call uh, on the possession before. And I, I think it was just a moment of frustration, but yeah, uh, certainly Michigan, Michigan blew that game. Um, all right. Well, well zooming out uh, to the big 10, I mean, Penn state uh, with the victory over Michigan state clinching the big 10 East, they uh, are going to represent the East, not Ohio state, not Michigan, uh, going up against Wisconsin uh, for that Big Ten Conference champion. Um, that seems to be the only uh, interesting uh, conference championship going on. Uh, the other three, we we still have uh, playoff favors in Alabama, Clemson, and Washington. Um, what do you think is going to happen, assuming that those three teams uh, in the Pac-12, the SEC, and ACC win out and win their championships uh, virtually guaranteed to be in the playoff. What what do you think of the Big Ten? Who will be representing them? Well, this is the question of the year right now because we finally have a situation where it's not nice and neat. The last two years, uh, it's been pretty cut and dry. Four Power Five champions, all with one loss. Easy breezy. Okay. 2014 had a little bit of controversy because you technically had six because the Big 12 declared a co-champion. So a little bit. But this is the first time we're going to have a team in Ohio State that will have a better record than its conference champion all right, with only one loss and a significant strength of schedule. I'm looking at the selection committee's criteria. In order, here's what it is. Championships won. The first one listed. Strength of schedule, number two. Head-to-head competition if it occurred. Compare outcomes of common opponents without inciting margin of victory. So number one right there is championships won. So Wisconsin or Penn State will have that on Ohio State regardless of what happens. And it is the number one qualification clearly over the last two years, eight teams, all of them Power 5 champions. That's a big tiebreaker to have. But when you look at Wisconsin, if Wisconsin were to win two losses to one and Ohio State beat them head-to-head, I think Ohio State has a stronger case than the Badgers, especially since that win came in Wisconsin. Penn State, if it were to win, I think has a better case to be in over, over Ohio State than Wisconsin does because it actually beat the Buckeyes and has a championship. But when you look at strength of schedule, Ohio State obliterates Penn State. And that win over Oklahoma, if Oklahoma were to win the de facto Big 12 championship against Oklahoma State, is a pretty powerful thing to have in your pocket. In The more I think about it, the more I think that Ohio State really wants Wisconsin to win. Because when you look at the criteria I just read, Penn State will have had the number one thing and the number three thing. And Ohio State only has strength of schedule. If Wisconsin wins, Ohio State will have the number two thing and the number three thing. And I think that that is a stronger case to put the Buckeyes in over Wisconsin, assuming no other upsets happen. So I honestly don't know what the committee is going to do here. All I can say this is if it's me, I think Ohio State is clearly better than both of these teams based on their resume, based on the fact that they are 4-1 and one against top 25 competition and currently 3-1 and one against top 10 competition that is an unbelievable resume they have one fewer loss than both of these teams you cannot just excuse Penn State losing to a four lost Pittsburgh team 
I think Ohio State should be in over both of them, but if the committee places either of these teams in over the Buckeyes, you may as well just make it an automatic bid because that is essentially what these conference championship games are if you do make that statement this year. Well, I, I understand that. I mean, I understand everything that you're saying until that last point. I mean, if Penn State wins or, or if Wisconsin with, with their win uh, against LSU kind of uh, emboldening them, I mean, it's not like these two teams – played vastly different schedules in Ohio State. I, I know they have – OSU has the Oklahoma win uh, as the feather in their cap that neither of these teams – other teams have. But, um, you know, they, they also put together a, a strong body of work, particularly Penn State with a victory against Ohio State. So I, I think that is a, a little bit of hyperbole to say that it, it's just, a, you know, an automatic bid to be your conference champion because these two teams – are qualified to be playoff teams now two losses against some Time of these out. other one loss teams kent state pitt and temple i mean they they will have an extra game uh, up against ohio state and they played the same conference schedule as ohio state I, I that's not true either crossover games let's look at what penn state has played they played minnesota they played purdue and they played hold on i'm trying to find the other one here iowa Ohio State played Wisconsin and Nebraska, the two best teams in the crossover. Uh, I I don't know. It just seems it seems nitpicking to me. <laughs> it, it really does. I, I think they both qualify to be playoff teams. Now, I, I agree with you. I think Ohio State certainly seems to be the better team of, of all three of these. And uh, you know, hearing and, and and reading things, they certainly seem to be the favorite of these three teams to be the playoff team. Um, I just I, I I think heading into this final weekend into the rivalry weekend I thought that um, Ohio State probably had a north of an eighty percent chance to be the playoff win a playoff team assuming that they beat Michigan assuming that even Penn State w- would win and, and be the Big Ten champion I, I thought they had a really strong chance um, with the closeness of that game against Michigan and with Penn State's large win. I I think that Penn State has an outside chance to be that playoff representative. I don't think it will happen. I I think Ohio State is still favored to do it, but I think with the off week that Ohio State will have with a potential Big Ten championship game uh, serving as a a marquee matchup for for Penn State, I think that they they have an outsider's chance. Uh, And like you said, I think that the college uh, football playoff committee has a big decision to make. and a kind of a precedent to set um, with with this decision, um, but I think it's a lot closer than, than what I, what I thought it would be uh, just a week ago. I, I agree that it's a lot closer than I thought it would be. I, I agree with you there, um, but I'm on the other side of the coin. I, I'm still trying to find the tough schedule Kent Penn State played because their only win is against Ohio State. They lost to Michigan. Uh, they played two good teams. Everyone else is unranked. They lost to a four lost pit team I can't just overlook that and I understand they're going to be in the big 10 championship game and if they beat Wisconsin that's two big wins Ohio State has four big wins I mean if you're the committee and you've been telling people that strength of schedule matters and that a team that doesn't win its conference championship because if you go down the list on these committee rules uh it says that presidents athletic directors and coaches 
should honor the regular season success while at the same time provide enough flexibility and discretion to select a non-champion or independent under circumstances where that particular non-champion or independent is unequivocally one of the four best teams in the country. If I'm looking at the totality of Penn State's resume versus the totality of Ohio State's resume, two losses to one, four top 25 wins to two, three top 10 wins to one, and quite frankly, you lost to Pitt, a four-loss team. There is nothing about Penn State's resume that says playoff-worthy. I'd take Oklahoma over Penn State, but that's just me. The fact of the matter is, Penn State, even as a Big Ten champion, is not better than Ohio State. I don't care what the head-to-head says because they're not tied. Two losses to one. I think Ohio State has a better overall resume. And if they took Penn State over Ohio State, they are making the statement that these conference championship games are essentially de facto playoff games. You may as well just give them automatic bids. You may as well just do what I want them to do, expand to eight, five automatic bids for the Power Five, one automatic bid for the Group of Five, and two wild cards. That way... Nobody who wins a conference champion is left out because it's the most important thing if they took Penn State over Ohio State. I don't think they should. I think they could. I don't think Wisconsin gets in over Ohio State because of head-to-head. But I I, I am worried that Penn State might get in over Ohio State. Yeah, I I think it's a possibility. I don't think it's it's very likely. I think Ohio State is going to be the representative. But um, I I think it is a, a, a very a likely possibility that Penn state could be that representative. Um, it just depends what, what criteria, um, you got the rule book right there, (laughs) but, um, what criteria they want to select, uh, for their, for their fourth representative. Where do you think the big 10, uh, um, representative will be seated, uh, in that playoff, assuming, uh, Washington, Clemson and Alabama win fourth. Because you just saw the criteria right there. Conference championships are the most important when you compare Ohio State to two other one-loss conference champions. I don't think they will be seeded two or three. I think they will fall the fourth. And I think that if, if they take a two-loss team, they, there's no way Wisconsin or Penn State will be seeded higher than fourth if all three of those teams win. So I think it'll be Ohio State-Alabama in the semifinals. I think if Ohio State is uh, in the playoff, uh, it's they will be seeded third. <laughs> Because uh, I I think that they want Alabama and Ohio State in, in the championship game, and I think that they, uh, if Ohio State is the playoff team, I, I think that they will be ranked higher than Washington. Um, if a two loss team goes in, I don't think they can they can pull that, but I, I do think OSU will be ranked third. I do disagree because I, I I understand what you're saying. I do think they want Alabama Ohio State in the title game, but if they are going by the criteria and the fact that Washington will have beaten the number nine team in the conference title game. I think Washington will get the three seed because you've seen the last two years how important these title games are. They are big time X factors. They're the reason Ohio State leapfrogged TCU and Baylor a couple years ago. So I'm not going to underestimate the Pac-12 champion. I think if Washington wins that game, it will go into the three spot Clemson will move up to the two I think they will ding Ohio State for not being a conference champion yeah um we'll have to see on that one I I do think OSU will be be seated third but um you know we've talked about a lot about those four power teams uh or power 
five conferences. The the fifth conference that looks like it's uh, the odd man out, unless there's some shakeups in these championship games, is the Big 12. But there is a big matchup, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. Uh, any chance that uh, o- Oklahoma State uh, is a playoff representative or, or Oklahoma, um, a- any way for, for either of these guys as, as they go head-to-head? I don't see how you can put Oklahoma in over Ohio State if we're just looking at it from tunnel vision here, because that would be the vulnerable spot because there's a non-champion there. Again, all of this is assuming Clemson, Washington, and Alabama take care of business. Obviously, if one or more of them stumble, Alabama can lose and still will get in. But if if the other two stumble, that could be interesting. But I don't see how Oklahoma gets in over Ohio State or, or probably the Big Ten champion. Oklahoma State, if the committee has a change of heart and lobs off that play like it should have been and views Oklahoma State as a one-loss team, I think they'll get in. Because I think Oklahoma State and an 11-1 Big Ten champ would be a more impressive case than Ohio State. But I don't think the committee is going to do that. I, I don't know if they should or not. I'm, I'm hesitant. I, I can see both sides of the argument. Oklahoma State did get robbed. But I understand it was Central Michigan. The game shouldn't have even been close. But they did get robbed. So I don't know how the committee is ultimately going to view that. They have been very consistent in saying that they're evaluating them as a two-loss team. So I'll take them at their word. I think the only way Oklahoma State gets in, barring another upset in one of the other three conferences, is if the committee has a change of heart and views them as a one-loss team. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it would have to be a kind of a blowout against Oklahoma to, to initiate that change of heart. Um, I, I don't see a way for either of these two teams being in the playoff uh, uh, unless uh, some crazy things happen in the ACC, SEC, or, or, or Pac-12 championship game. So um, that'll definitely be a thing to keep an eye on for sure, uh, working in the background. But um, all eyes on the Big Ten and, and what happens in that championship game and what happens in the in the committee's decisions for sure. Um, all right, well, moving on away from uh, college football as we wrap that up, we'll certainly be back to talk about those championship games uh, as they unfold. But uh, moving to uh, up north to, to some Cleveland sports, the Cavs uh, on a roll uh, this past week, particularly Kevin Love, um, fulfilling a, a lot of people's dreams and visions of what he would be able to provide offensively for the Cavs this week. Um, doing so well that he was named Eastern Conference Player of the Week the third time uh, in his career. He He's received that honor the first time as a Cleveland Cavalier. Um, Chris Kevinlove is red hot right now and has been uh, really, really good these first 15 games is putting up a, a player efficiency rating. Um, uh, the the only time he's put up a better PER is the last year he was in Minnesota where he uh, had about 12 rebounds a game and 26 points. Uh, his percentages are up, and his three-point shot is looks uh, very, very smooth, and it looks different. It looks more natural. Um, combine that with more use in the post by Ty Lue. Um, just how, how good is Kevin Love? Is this for real, or is this uh, you know, uh, him just getting hot at, at, at a good time? Well, I mean, I don't see why it isn't for real. I mean, it's not like he hasn't done this before in Minnesota. You just mentioned the 26-12 and 12 season. The year before that, only 18 games because he was hurt 18-14. and 14. But let's go back to the year before that in 55 games, 26-13. and 13. The year before that, 73 games, 20-15. and 15. So, so it's not like Kevin Love hasn't been able to put up big numbers like this before. 
but this is certainly the first time, the most comfortable he has looked in a Cavaliers uniform. I think it's a combination of things. Number one, he was the Chris Bosh of this team the last two years. He was the GOAT. Until they won, everyone was going to blame him because Kyrie was the guy who was drafted by the team and LeBron's LeBron. You're not going to blame him. So Kevin Love was the odd man out. Winning that championship, I think, just dispelled all the drama, all the rumors. It, whether it was manufactured or not, most of it probably was. It's gone now. He doesn't have to deal with any of that. And number two, David Blatt is no longer the coach of this team. David Blatt used... Kevin Love like Antoine Jameson should be used. Just go in the corner and stretch the floor. Kevin Love can do so much more than just shoot the three. In fact, that's probably, I mean, it's a great part of his game, but his rebounding, his post moves, he's so good off the block. He's such a dynamic offensive weapon that he was just wasted for those last two years under David Blatt. You saw Tyrone Liu start to get him involved a little bit, but taking over midway through, hard to impact put your imprint on a team. He, he obviously made a lot of adjustments. They won the title. But having a full offseason with Ty Lue as the coach with no pressure on his back and a championship to his name, I think you're just seeing the results of all of that coming together and Kevin Love is finally the player that we envisioned him to be when we went out and traded for him um, two years ago. So so you're seeing this Cavs team just running on all cylinders. I think it's a combination of playing free. They don't have they don't have the burden of ending this 52-year drought on their back. But more importantly, they have continuity and a coach who knows how to command the respect of the players and put them in the best position to win. So Kevin Love, definitely the biggest beneficiary of that in the early going. Yeah, I thought that after their first uh, NBA title run um, two years ago where they lost to the Warriors, uh, I thought that that would kind of validate this team and uh, let them kind of settle in and, and block out some of the noise. But uh, the lack of the championship and, and the Kevin Love rumors, the, the rumors of more infighting and the firing of the coach, uh, that didn't really happen uh, last year. And finally, after winning an actual championship, uh, they seem to have settled and have, are all comfortable with themselves, are comfortable with their roles. Um, there's not a lot of turnover on this roster than there was last year. Um, they just look a lot more comfortable and and, and uh, confident in each other and confident in themselves and their abilities and don't really care about anybody's perception. You know, uh, J.R. Smith has been playing re- really poorly. I think he was 0 for 10 against the Sixers, and uh, but still playing really aggressive, engaged defense, uh, not afraid to, to make his wide open shot, but also not afraid to pass it as well. Um, they're just playing really good basketball. And, you know, I thought that uh, year two, this would happen because that's what happened with the heat. They were able to take off and, and go on some really big win streaks. Um, but it looks like it took year three for this Cavs. Um, and, and, and Kevin Love is definitely the, the getting the brunt of that benefit because, like you said, he has been the scapegoat. Um, Chris, The Chris Bosh comparison is fair. I think his... his uh, the the attention, the blame, and just the distraction uh, of Kevin Love wanting to leave and be traded out, I think that was even more amplified than what we uh, saw with Chris Bosh. A lot of blame was being levied, levied on Chris Bosh, but I don't think there's any uh, to the level of the amount of rumors about Kevin Love being unhappy, wanting out, uh, trade rumors of him going to Boston and things like that. I think uh, Love ha- has endured a lot uh, in his two years with Cleveland, and this is definitely uh, has been a, a vindictive uh, first couple months of this season for him. 
I, I certainly hope it continues, man. I mean, the guy's averaging 22.3 points, 10.7 rebounds. Uh, pretty much, a, I mean, it is a double-double. And that PER you alluded to, 26.28. I mean, that's definitely one of the best in the NBA's. So yeah. the, the fact of the matter is, you know, this is the Kevin Love we thought we were getting. <clears throat> now, when you play on a team with Kyrie and LeBron, the points probably aren't going to be in the 22.3 range all season. I, I could see that dipping down. Probably realistic is more 16 to 18, just because LeBron and Kyrie are eventually going to start filling the stat sheets a little bit more than like they're accustomed to. But that rebounding yeah. number, 9.7 and 9.9 the last two years, he's up to 10.7. So I, I think he could definitely average 10, 10 plus rebounds a game a year. It's not like uh, LeBron and, and Kyrie aren't stuffing the stats right now. I mean, Kyrie, uh, I think 35 points against the Sixers. LeBron with a massive triple double, while Kevin Love is posting these numbers. I think it's, I think it's doable. Um, I, I think you're right. There, there is room for natural regression right now, just because um, they are going to be more ball dominant in certain games, and and guys are going to sit out and whatnot. But I think he would be able to sustain a, a 20 point, 10 rebound season uh, on this Cavs team as of right now. Um, just a little stat he him and Anthony Davis are the only guys averaging over 20 points and 10 rebounds a game so definitely good good company to keep in but um, I, I we we all expected you know his numbers to dip down uh, when he was traded from Minnesota and they certainly did I, I think some people were surprised that they dipped all the way down to 16 points a game um, I, I think there's definitely room in, in this offense during the season for him to to sustain what he's doing right now Hey, I hope you're right, man, because that would be great. Man, we've been disagreeing about a lot on this podcast, Bob. It's been a, kind of a <laughs> head bumping, man. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we've had worse, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of slight slight disagreements, I'd say. But uh, hopefully the Cavs keep winning. I w- was witness to that huge blowout on, on Black Friday. That was awesome. Um Moving on, though, to the Cleveland Browns, uh, continuing their slow death march to 0-16. I lost the Giants. Chris, did you you watch that game? I did, and and you know what? For a while there, it looked like they were going to (laughs) win. There you go. (laughs) Just like the last few losses. Um, But then that big fumble return for a touchdown. I mean, my goodness. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot to be desired. I mean, Odell Beckham just ate this team alive. Yeah. there were some good moments, but but most of I mean mostly it's just just the same old. I mean this team is finally bringing Hugh Jackson to tears a little bit in his press conference. Yeah. He kind of was uh, a little emotional at 0 and 12. Like I said, I, I've said it all year. I think the best shot for a win week 14 against the Bengals out of the bye, that could be the one. But if they don't get that one, I I can't see them beating any of the teams on their schedule. Yeah, I, I I think that is certainly a, a chance to win, especially with the Bengals uh, kind of going through a down year as well, uh, not as down as the Browns, obviously, but uh, under underperforming for sure. Um, but I mean, there there's nobody that there's nobody on that defensive side of the ball that that can stop a pass. Uh, you know, Joe Hayden ha- has been average this year, uh, had, has had some uh, some good games, but um, again, you know. Last, on Sunday, the Odell Beckham ran ran wild. I just the the, the they're a mess. Uh, obviously, they're a mess everywhere. Um, they lost John Greco. He's on injured reserve. I mean, this offensive line, the turnover. Uh, I'm amazed Joe Thomas is is sane uh, on that offensive line. Um, 
that's concerning. Um, the, I guess the only good piece of news is that Cody Kessler has been cleared to, to return to practice. Good good news, I guess. Maybe not for him, though, because now he's got to no. take more hits. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, hopefully they can use the bye week and, and finish the year strong. Uh, I don't want them to go 0-16. Uh, but but I just looked. The 49ers only have one win. It's competitive for that number one draft pick. So maybe they'll have to go on 16 to clinch it. Yeah, I mean, if that's the end goal, then um, they they they're in a a dogfight with, with with the Niners for sure. Um, yeah, I I don't know, man. I they they're just not looking good. You would you honestly trot out Cody Kessler right now? Uh, I mean, why not? I mean, I don't know. I he's gonna have he's to play two concussions already. <laughs> Yeah, but he's going to come out of the bye. He'll be healthy, I think. I mean, if he's not healthy, I wouldn't. But, I mean, if he comes out of the bye, why not? I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you act like, you know, there isn't a ticking timer on whatever guy plays quarterback for this team. Well, I th- I think uh, he's a little – the other guys are a little bit more disposable than Cody Kessler, not to, you know, <laughs> say I'm messing so with their brains cold. or anything, but – you have you're invested in Cody Kessler more than you're invested in anybody else. Man, you just like oh throw throw Archie three and Josh <laughs> McCown to the Wolves. Who needs them? <laughs> Man. They'll be gone by next year. <laughs> Pro- I mean, you're probably you're probably right, but uh, I mean, man, that's just cold, Bob. Man, I'm not not yeah. even I'm that cold. I don't. I mean, I, I think football is a cruel cold game. Uh, when you true. get get down to, to roster moves, I. I you, you got to protect him, and he's not, he can't be protected if you put him out on the field. I don't know, man. He also can't develop if you put don't put him out on the field. But then again, you could argue what development is he getting this year on this team? I mean, it, it, it's a disaster, Bob. It's just a nothing but a disaster. Yeah, for for sure. Um, well, thankfully that there's a bye week, so um, we won't have to talk about them for <laughs> for, for a little bit. So uh, a little bit of relief uh, this late into the season, three fourths into the season. Um, hey, uh, good news. Uh, going down south to Columbus real quick. The the Blue Jackets are are having a fine start to the season. Um, I think uh had a nice little four game win streak. They're eleven and uh they're eleven and five right now, which uh I think um is definitely surprising and and, and good news for for them. Um, we'll definitely keep a track of them uh as this as their season wears on. Hopefully, they're in the hunt for uh, for a Stanley Cup playoff. Yeah, it'd be nice if they made the uh, playoffs uh, over there in hockey. Uh, not not a very successful franchise historically, so uh, you you always would like to see you know the brethren down south in Columbus having success. Uh, you know we cheer for Ohio State. Uh, like to support the Columbus Blue Jackets as well because uh, so many people in Columbus support the Cleveland teams. Uh, it's good to uh, send some love their way as well. Yeah, for sure. Um... All right, just running through some quick hits here. Uh, Chris, uh, I know you had a chance to cover some volleyball uh, recently. It looks like Cleveland State uh, is making the NCAA tournament. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What, what What's your insight? Well, it's really sweet. They actually – it was official uh, two weeks ago when they won the Horizon League Championship. I was covering that game. A very fun uh, match to cover. Uh, went to five sets. They pulled it out in a thriller. Uh, some Some good local players – and this is the second year in the row they'll be in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but but they found out their opponent this uh, on uh, Sunday, and they will face Arizona on Friday. So they're going back to the tournament. Last year they had to face the number one seed in USC, uh, lost to them. So maybe they'll fare a little better in there against Arizona. But but I know that the Pac-12 historically is very tough. 
volleyball wise. So I imagine that's going to be tough sledding for them, but that hopefully they can pull the upset and uh, uh, do Cleveland proud. That would be nice. Is a, is Arizona the number one seed? I, I don't know if they're the number one seed off the top of okay. my head. I just saw that they were playing Arizona and being from the Pac-12, I would imagine that they are uh, a very good team. All right, we'll go driving back into college football, um, keeping it in the MAC. My alma mater, Miami, Ohio, uh, is one of the worst football programs uh, currently going on, but they have a, a good success story uh, this season. Started off 0-6, finished the year 6-6 six and six, uh, with a, actually a really exciting win against Ball State, the first uh, NCAA football team to start the year 0-6 and, and finish 6-6. Six and six. I am proud of them, go Hawks. Uh, Western Michigan, also out of the MAC, uh, in line to be uh, eligible for one of those New Year's Six Bulls um, with Boise State losing and, and and Houston losing. They won't be eligible for their title win or for their conference title. So it looks like Western Michigan uh, will be playing uh, a New Year's Day Bowl. Yeah, they have to win the MAC championship though because there's a wrinkle. It's not just the highest rated of the group of six. They have to be a conference champion to get in committee likes this conference champion designation this doesn't make me feel good about the Buckeyes chances yeah um well we will have to uh, keep an eye on uh, both western michigan again uh on the big 10 as all that folds out um chris take us into d3 football for a second yeah d3 football a couple of ohio teams obviously mountain union we all know how dominant they've been but john carroll their conference mate uh, a couple weeks ago, ended Mountain Union's 112-game regular season winning streak uh, in the final game. John Carroll's in the uh, Division Three quarterfinals. They are facing a very tough opponent in UW-Whitewater. Uh, they are the uh, nemesis of Mountain Union. The two of them generally meet in the final. But if John Carroll pulls the upset uh, and then wins another game, they could meet Mountain Union and John Carroll would be on track to meet in the championship again. So, Go Blue Streaks, man. Good to see a Cleveland team uh, represented in the Division Three, and, and Mountain Union's not that far far away from Cleveland. So two Ohio schools in the D3 quarterfinals. Yeah, that, that win streak's pretty crazy for Mountain Union. Um, they're kind of synonymous with just winning in D3 football. Uh, kind of crazy that John Carroll was able to upset them because you and I uh, grew up really close to, to John Carroll, so that's pretty cool. Um, all right, and then looking in on college basketball as it starts uh, – uh, Cleveland State getting beat by Kentucky, no surprise there. Uh, Akron off to a fine start. Buck the Ohio State off to a, a fine start, and uh, Kent State uh, above five hundred. Um, any takes on any of those teams? Uh, not really. It's 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 early in the non-conference. I mean, no one's surprised that Cleveland State lost to Kentucky. I think it would be a much bigger story if they had won that game. Um, Akron off to a good start as usual. Ohio State undefeated. I, I don't think they've really played much competition yet. Kent State a little slow at four and three. Um, but 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 it's this week is actually the best non-conference week for me because the ACC Big Ten ACC Challenge begins today through Wednesday. The Buckeyes will take on Virginia on Wednesday, which actually is a pretty good game. Virginia has had a good basketball program over the last couple of years. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to to keep an eye out uh, as college basketball heats up a little bit. When do you get into college basketball? Uh, generally around January when conference play starts. I don't like non-conference college basketball. It's not that exciting. Yeah, same. It, it takes me a, a really long time to get into it for sure. Um, all Bob, right, one last – oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just about to go in this last quick hit here. Uh, Bob, the, the MLB labor talks are uh, 
heating up a little bit. The agreement expires on Thursday. Owners have said they might lock out the players. Uh, is this cause for concern? I mean, do you think they'll get a deal done in time? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, it looks like they're still in negotiation, so so that uh, bodes well. But I mean, cut, cut it really close. You know, uh, this this is is definitely concerning. I, I think even if um, a lockout does happen, there's still plenty of time for them to renegotiate and and not miss any kind of games, but you do have the world baseball classic happening. Um, you know, pitchers and catchers happen sooner than you think. Um, it definitely is concerning. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, very concerning. I hear one of the big points of contention is the, uh, qualifying offers and, and tying some of these free agents to draft picks, uh, some other, some other points out there as well. But, uh, yeah, it's very concerning. Hopefully they can get on the same page and get things done. I mean, just the uh, Indians' luck. They they finally have a uh, team that everyone's excited about, and it could start the year in a lockout. Yeah, I, I think we're a ways off uh, for before predicting, you know, uh, effects on the actual season. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're only in November, heading in December. But, yeah, uh, that would be really disappointing if uh, the Tribe and what looks like some peak years for them um, one of them could be cut short by, by a labor dispute. Though the last work stoppage worked out pretty well for the Tribe, won 100 games in a short season, went to the World Series. So uh, not yeah. too bad. Yeah, that that I mean, I get, I'll take that for sure. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we jam-packed a lot into this podcast, a lot of college football. It's coming to a head this weekend. We'll see if Ohio State can overcome its lack of a conference championship to reach the playoffs. Will there be any upsets, monkey wrenches, things like that? We'll find out this weekend. It's sure to be exciting. Uh, hopefully, we'll come back for more Clee Talk next week. We will recap it all and talk more Cleveland sports with you. Until then, though, you can go to FenleyRoadSports.com, click the iTunes link in the upper right corner, and subscribe to our podcast. Or you can search for Fenley Road Sports on iTunes and click Clee Talk. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports. And please come back for more Clee Talk presented by Fenley Road Sports every week where we break down uh, the latest happenings in the world of Cleveland sports and related teams like Ohio State. But until then, go Buckeyes. Hopefully everything will break their way. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.